passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Clones, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. Man, we want beef, pure and simple. So where is the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices. They're smoked over a real wood fire, so it's tender and it's tasty. It's not rough. And why is it so good? It's because of the folks involved. Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously. I've spoken with and know members of the family. They are legit. They're the real deal. Old Trapper is packed with protein, and it comes in four amazing flavors. So look for it in major retail stores near you. Old Trapper, what's your beef? So his plan was for me to go into the uh, general manager's office and uh, drop my trow and uh, leave a little thing on his desk for him. <laughs> you mean take a crap on his desk, that little he thing? He wanted me to take a crap on my GM's desk. Hey now, welcome to episode 158 of the Jim Rome Podcast, and if it sounds like I am hyped, it's because I am hyped. For the first time in NFL history, the Bills and the Browns won a playoff game in the same season, and for the first time in Jim Rome Podcast history, I'm going from a Buffalo legend right to a Cleveland legend, from Steve Tasker last week to Joe Thomas this week. Joe Thomas is a 10-time Pro Bowler an eight-time All-Pro, a member of an All-Decade team. He's in the Browns Ring of Honor, and he played over 10,300 consecutive snaps, the longest streak in NFL history. He is also an NFL Network analyst, and you can catch him on the weekend editions of NFL Game Day Mornings. There is a ton to get to with Joe Thomas, so let's get right at it. Cleveland, this is for you. Joe, it is so good to finally run you down. Listen, you guys did it. You were 10 years old, Joe, when the Browns last won a playoff game. They go into Heinz Field. They're shorthanded. They're without their head coach. Some key guys, they shocked the Steelers. It's been a few days, Joe, but has it even sunk in for you yet? It hasn't sunk in. You know, it's like those things that happen in your life that when they happen, they're so unbelievable that you it, it takes at least a couple weeks to be able to wrap your mind around it and really let it sink in. And right now, I'm, I'm still floating on cloud nine. All right, so how much did you personally enjoy it, especially given who it was against and the history you have with that team? Well, I personally enjoyed it because Heinz Field was a house of horrors for me. It's been like that for the Browns for a long time. I think it's been 17 years since a Browns team has gone into Heinz Field and won a game there. So 
to be able to really get over that hump uh, was enormous. It was so much fun to be able to watch that team that's really coming into their own down the stretch and to be able to kind of get your first playoff win since, like you mentioned, since I was 10 years old against your biggest rival down the street and get over all these monsters that have been spooking you for so many decades. It was really special and it was really fun to watch. Yeah, Joe, when you break that thing down, like there's got, you've got all these demons and all these monsters, but when you consider what the team was up against, like no Kevin Stefanski, your leader, your play caller, no Joel Betonio, no Denzel Ward, practically no practice time whatsoever. I mean, given all of that, if you were to step back and you were objective, I mean, really, what were your expectations going into that game? Well, like you mentioned, the Browns had a lot of things against them. And I think if you just look at the Steelers' record and obviously um, where their seeding was, you would think, oh, this is going to be a blowout, right? The Browns can't even practice. They don't have their head coach, their play caller. But as you kind of dig a little bit deeper, you go, okay, what? The Steelers, they hadn't won but one game in their last five going into the the playoffs. Uh, Big Ben, his arm has not looked exactly great down the stretch. And, yeah, he had a week off, but we don't know where he's going to be. Um, and then you start looking at the Browns, like they're playing really good football. Baker Mayfield's playing the best football of his career in the second half of this season. And then those comments from Juju came out where it was pretty obvious that a lot of those young players in that locker room with Pittsburgh had taken the Browns pretty lightly. And as you know, like once you get to the playoffs, everybody's pretty equal. Yeah. The records are going to be different. There's going to be some uh, better talent on certain teams than others, but For the most part, it's who shows up on that day. And a lot of times, if you overlook somebody in the playoffs, you're going to get beat because by the time you realize it's time to wake up and and give your best effort, it's a lot of times too late. Especially if you turn it over on the first play of the game and you house that, you convert that into seven, and the next thing you know, seven is 28. But, you know, going back to what Juju said, he famously dissed the team before the game. Joe saying, among other things, the Browns is the Browns. I mean, look, these are professional athletes, right? Not that you need any additional motivation. It is the postseason. But do you think the Browns got additional fuel or juice from those comments? Well, I love Juju. I think he's great for the game. He played a great game on Sunday, so he came to play. But the reason you don't hear that type of trash talk in team sports is because if, if you're a heavyweight fighter and you're going into a match, it's me versus you, and I can back up every single thing that I say because it's up to me to do that. But in a team sport, what you do is when you go out and you disrespect your opponent the way Juju did and basically say they're still the team that stinks that we've been kicking their butts for the last two decades – you can go out and back it up, but now that puts additional pressure on the rest of the guys on your team. I don't really think it really gave the Browns a lot of motivation. It definitely gave them something to kind of rally around a little bit. I'm not sure they needed more motivation, though, but what I think it did is it made the rest of the Steelers feel pressure, and they were a little bit tighter going into that game because they were feeling that additional pressure that Juju put on them uh, that they were definitely feeling because it's something that the head coach is going to address throughout the, the week when he hears those comments. And it becomes a theme and it becomes a distraction for the Steelers. And I think it really showed up, especially early on in that game. You saw those guys, a lot of those guys making uncharacteristic mistakes with all those turnovers with the first snap of the game going over Big Ben's head. So to me, it really showed up 
big time, especially in the beginning of that game. I'm with you, Joe. I like Juju. I like Juju a lot. I love him as a guy. I love him as a player. I love his personality. Probably did not need to say that, but it's not like he's the only one. Like To me, Chase Claypool, this seems really out of character, but for him to say after the fact in that Instagram Live segment yesterday when asked about the game and what's going to happen to Pittsburgh, or I should say Cleveland going forward against the Chiefs, quote, the Browns are going to get clapped next week against the Chiefs. What do you make of that statement? What's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a lot of sour grapes. They're feeling right. pretty sorry for themselves that uh, they, they overlooked the Browns. I mean, that's what it is. And um, the words that he said, obviously, that's not a championship mentality saying, well, I don't care that we lost as long as the team that beat us loses. Like, that, that's obviously a loser's mentality when you, when you say those things. But I don't think that's really who he is. I think he's just really pretty sour and shocked about how they won. But I, I like both those guys. I think Chase and Juju are great for the game. They're great players. Obviously, they played really well on Sunday, but, um, you know, sometimes because of the emotion involved with this game and what happens, especially when you're shocked the way they were, you go out and you say some silly things after the game. Joe, you mentioned Baker. Like, (laughs) Baker, I love Baker. I really do. And there's no but. I mean, I love Baker, period. But what do you make of Baker saying that he introduced himself to one of his linemen before the game, quote, (laughs) some guy named Blake? Like, I know it's a crazy year, Joe, but your QB1 introducing himself to a lineman before a playoff game? Like, how insane is that? I think those were just one of the many things that made this victory over the Steelers on Sunday so unbelievable, right? They were down to like their fourth or fifth string guard. Joel Batonio, he was out with COVID that week. He's an all-pro. He's their best offensive lineman. Um, then Michael Dunn comes in the game. He's playing pretty well, but he gets hurt. So you're down to a guy, like you mentioned, that Baker Mayfield just met that day. And so for them to be able to play as well as they did, they ran the football very efficiently. I think they had almost 150 yards rushing or more. Um, Baker Mayfield basically didn't get hit. The entire game, it's it's really amazing what they were able to do, and it was kind of funny because when um, Han- Blake Hans came in the game, I was like, "Who next? This guy? I had no idea." And I'm obviously pretty invested in the Browns' offensive line, and I went online and I looked him up, and he didn't even have a Wikipedia page. Wow! And I'm thinking, "Oh man, here we go!" But they did a great job, and that's a credit to the coaching staff to be able to build that foundation and that system for guys to be able to just plug in and play good football. It just speaking of the coaching staff, I mean, it's it is incredible how Kevin Stefanski has been able to come in and change the culture of the team, the organization as fully as he's done during a pandemic without the benefit of any kind of normal offseason. In fact, how the hell has he done that? Well, I think two things. One, I think he brings a very, very smart X's and O's coaching staff with him. I think his offense is fantastic. Um, they put in place really good systems that, that they developed during COVID to be able to teach all the different offense and defensive schemes to all these guys. It seems to work really, really well for the team where they're all able to learn virtually. They're all able to get the reps, even if they can't practice. But I think more than anything, Kevin Stefanski brought a demeanor, a steadiness, an even keel uh, emotionally that this team didn't have because it was full of a lot of young stars that – tended to ride the roller coaster a little bit emotionally, but in comes Kevin Stefanski, who is the most steady coach that you could ever imagine for a rookie coach. And I think a lot of, a lot of ways the team has really taken on and embraced that personality of just easygoing, just get a little bit better every single day. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. And that's what's enabled them to be able to overcome adversity at several points throughout the season, especially this past week 
where they didn't have that head coach and offensive coordinator. You know, I would imagine, especially as it relates to Baker, right? Like, for instance, did you watch Baker this year? Where have you seen the biggest improvement from last year to this year? Is it in the mechanical changes, in the way he plays the position, or maybe in the way he carries himself and leads? Well, I think in all those ways, I think first and foremost, his footwork is much improved. Um, that was one of the things that kept getting him in trouble last season is the footwork would get off and then it would tend to lead to inaccuracies when he was trying to throw the football. And I think he lost a little bit of confidence, which resulted in poor decision-making, which is the other part of being a quarterback. You can't only be accurate, but you got to know where to throw the football. And I think Kevin Stefanski, Alex and Pelt, quarterback, coach, offensive coordinator, they've done a great job help develop Baker, help build that confidence back up. And he's playing great football right now. But I think also, like you mentioned, it's that demeanor, it's that leadership. He's taken on the personality of Kevin a little bit, which I think is a really good balance for him. We all know Baker. He's a fiery guy. He's an emotional guy. He wears his heart on his sleeve as much as any quarterback in the NFL, which is great in a lot of ways. But sometimes as a quarterback, if you make a bad play or a bad decision, you don't want to beat yourself up over it, which those up and down personalities tend to do sometimes. Sometimes, it's okay to just come to the sideline, refocus, and think about the next play and not dwell on what happened a play before or a few plays before. And so I think maybe even more than anything, it's that demeanor that really has improved and that he's matured a lot, uh, which has led to much better play as, as a quarterback. You know, Joe, you could speak to this as well as anybody, but there really is no job in professional sports like being a quarterback in the NFL, right? Like you, you set the tone for literally everything. You know, if not the head coach, then everything for the organization, how you work, how you study, how you practice, how you prepare, how you conduct yourself away from the facility. I mean, literally everything starts with the quarterback, the face of the franchise. So when you played, you played with 20 different quarterbacks. If you're constantly resetting the face of the franchise and where the guys get their tone from or their key from, like how does that work playing with 20 different guys? Well, it doesn't work. Right. That's why we were so right. bad. We went 1-31 one, one over two years. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, as a quarterback, it's the most important position in all of sports because it has the most impact on winning or losing because you're touching the football on every single play. And just one or two bad plays where you turn the football over in the game a lot of times is going to lead to a loss. Consequently, one or two good plays in the right moments when you make a good decision and a good pass that's what wins you games. And in NFL games, which a lot of times come down to, you know, two to six plays somewhere in there, having a good quarterback that's steady, that consistently makes good decisions and good throws, that's a lot of times the difference between winning and losing. And when you've got a quarterback that you have confidence in and trust that he's going to make the plays consistently in each game during the season, that's going to make me, as, as a non-quarterback, look to him and say, man, I, I better get my stuff right. I better be prepared because if my number is called, they're all counting on me to be able to hold up my end of the bargain because I know that that leader, that guy that's in that quarterback position, he's going to make the play, and I don't want to let him down. Yes, it's really interesting you say that because, like, even with the Buffalo Bills, Cole Beasley, who's a vet, right, who has seen everything, is saying things like, we don't want to let Josh Allen down. That's an amazing thing for a vet to say about a young quarterback. So if you played with 20 different quarterbacks, Joe, I would imagine you've played and seen every kind of guy but maybe none quite like Johnny Manziel. And I bring this up only because it was Johnny Manziel, Joe, who said recently, man, I feel badly that I wasted two years of Joe Thomas's career. It's a pretty amazing statement. Like, what did you make of that when you heard that? And is that how it felt to you? Do you feel like he wasted two years of your career? 
Well, I love Johnny. He was a good friend when we were playing and still a good friend. And, and I appreciate um, him being introspective about his career. Uh, I never felt like, oh, he wasted two years of my career because, you know, as much as a quarterback has influence over wins and losses, it wasn't only him that caused us to not be very good. Um, but if, more than anything, I, I feel bad for him because I think he's realizing that he squandered one of the greatest opportunities in America is to be a starting quarterback on an NFL team. There's only 32 of those positions and to be given that opportunity. I mean, he earned it from what he did in college, but to have that opportunity and to waste it and not take it seriously the way you should, I can imagine that's a regret he's going to carry with him forever. And so I appreciate what he said. Um, I was a little surprised to hear it, but at the same time, like I, I wish for his sake that he wouldn't have wasted two years and that opportunity that probably will never come around again for him. Yeah. I appreciate those comments that you make about him. And like, I wonder Joe, when you're in your situation, like you, you're a vet, other guys look to you and you're going to lead the way you're going to lead. But you also understand that you need to take care of your own business. But when you see a young player like that and you kind of understand what's at stake and what it takes to be successful and the kind of work you have to put in. I mean, in your position, did you ever pull him aside and say, hey, yo, listen, man, I love you, but you are blowing it here. You're letting yourself down. You're letting us down. This you need to be more committed. Like, how did you approach that with him at that time when you were in it? Yeah, I think that's one of the, the most difficult parts as a player, as a leader, as a captain on the team is when you do pull those guys aside and you see them going astray and you try to talk to them and, and, you know, they act like they get it, but then their actions are different than their words and they continue to make the same mistakes. Um, and I think Johnny's been pretty open. You know, he had a lot of demons that he was dealing with that were a lot bigger than sports at the time. Um, and, you know, myself, there was a lot of guys on the team that I think had his respect we tried to talk to him, tried to show him the right way to do things, and it just didn't work out. And unfortunately, you see that in the NFL a lot of times. I mean, I, I played with Josh Gordon. He had a lot of same issues that Johnny did, and they were um, about the same time together in Cleveland. And Peyton Ellis is another guy who, you know, had a lot of opportunity, had a lot of talent, but he squandered it. And there's unfortunately a lot of guys that are like that on the road to playoffs and Super Bowl championships and unfortunately the bus doesn't stop for you if, if you don't want to get on mm, it's interesting so like you know the old saying Joe like availability is your best ability and I know you know that nobody understood that better than you because you played in 10,363 consecutive snaps like you literally never came off the field that consecutive snap streak what does that represent to you you know, I have a lot of pride in that because what that repre represents to me is my commitment to my teammates because I, I didn't always feel great when I was going out there. I Plenty of times I was injured or coming off of off-season surgery or weeks, many weeks at a time where I couldn't practice because I was banged up. But I always felt like I, I owed it to my teammates because they were putting themselves through the same hell during an NFL season to be out there. And they had a lot on the line too, right? They, they had to go out and perform because they had to put uh, the, a great performance forward because their family was counting on them. And I felt always that I needed to be there for those guys because I knew that I was the best left tackle that the Browns could have when I was on the team. And if I wasn't out there, that quarterback wasn't going to get the protection he deserved. That left guard wasn't going to have the combination blocks that he needed if I wasn't going to be able to be out there for him. And so when I see that number 
up in the rafters in Cleveland, I see that as my commitment to my teammates. So, Joe, that said, like, it was team first, team first. It was always that way. You always put the team first. But at any point, does the athlete, or in your case, do you have to be selfish? For instance, you had an amazing individual career, obviously, and you're going to have a Hall of Fame career, but they, because of whatever circumstance or fate, whatever you want to call it, you were not surrounded with the kind of talent that you needed because, as you point out, it's a team sport. You're not a heavyweight champion. You couldn't do it by yourself. Because of that, did you ever feel like, man, I got to look out for me at some point. I need to get out of here if I'm ever going to compete for a world championship. Did you have those thoughts? You know, I never had those thoughts. Um, one, because I love my time in Cleveland, and it was always my dream to be part of that organization to turn it around, because I thought of how special that would be, right? Like, there's, I think, a satisfaction of going to a team and winning a championship, because it's everybody's dream that plays the sport to win a championship. But when you're there from ground zero, building a franchise up from the depths of the bottom of the NFL – and you see that team coming together and you see that journey, like that's the most special championships um, in all of sports. And I think in Cleveland being the once proud franchise that they were, it would have been the best NFL story of all time to be able to take the Browns and be part of that building process for a championship. Um, But also I think part of it is when you're a competitor and you're trying to be at your best, you've got to trick yourself going into every single season that We've got the pieces that are necessary to win a championship because that's how you get the most out of yourself. You talked about being selfish, and the game of football is all about controlling what I can control, which is how I play. And so the more selfish that I am about how well I can play, the better I'm going to be for my team and for those other 10 guys that I'm playing with. And so I think going into every season, even when we were 1-31 in during those two, that two stretches, like you have to convince yourself, like, this is how we're going to find a way to win. Almost like a fan does going into like a a game when you're an underdog. I think we can win if this thing happens and this thing happens. And once you convince yourself of that in the off season, I think that's how you become. And in hindsight, maybe looking back, I was probably pretty dumb to think that uh, going into the 0-16 and the 1-15 year that we had a chance to win a Super Bowl. But that's just the mindset I had. I get it. And you want to see it through and you want to be a part of it when it does change, especially given everything that you invested. But that doesn't mean that other guys didn't want you to come in. You've told this great, great story, but no less a hero than Peyton Manning came up with a plan for you to force your way out of Cleveland. What was his plan? So his plan was for me to go into the uh, general manager's office and, uh, drop my trout and uh, leave a little thing on his desk for him. <laughs> you mean take a crap on his desk, that little he thing? He wanted me to take a crap on my GM's desk because he called me up. and Classy, Pete. The, the Broncos, they were trying to trade for me. And the, the Browns were not really interested. And, and basically what it came to is uh, the Browns and the Broncos to, told Peyton, hey, I know you need a, a left tackle, but the only way he's coming to Cleveland is if there's basically some big issue in in Cleveland because they're not going to trade their left tackle. And so that's when he calls me up and says, you know, you need to force your way out and here's the best way to do it. Here's the game plan. So uh, thankfully for my dignity and for Ray Farmer's desk, I didn't poop on his desk. It probably would have worked though, Joe. It probably would have (laughs) worked. Hey, you want to hear something amazing? Check this out. Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. I mean, how amazing is that? 
In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of the places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. Discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. Listen, before you go, let me ask you, what was it like, and I've got a fascination with all things Wisconsin, which I'll tell you about in a second, but what was it like for you to grow up in the 90s watching the Packers, watching the Badgers? Like, who were your guys back then when you were growing up? Yeah, I love those two teams. I was a huge Badger fan, a huge Packer fan. Um, I always loved Brett Favre and Reggie White. Those were like the two studs for the Packers. They obviously had a lot of good other players. But then Daryl Bevel, he was a quarterback when they won uh, the Rose Bowl with Brent Moss. He was their running back uh, in 94 when the Badgers won the Rose Bowl. and I mean, it was a great time to be a Wisconsin football fan. I was 12, 13 years old, which is kind of like the height of your, your passion for sports, I think. Um, and I think going back to why I wanted to be in Cleveland, when, when I was a kid, Green Bay sucked. And Mike Holman showed up, and they traded for Brett Favre, and they signed Reggie White, and then they won a Super Bowl. And kind of seeing them go from crap to Super Bowl champions – was really cool. It was really special, right? And I saw that happening in Cleveland, at least in my mind, and I didn't want to miss that. You know, Joe, as I mentioned, like I'm all about all things Wisconsin because the first time, I'm, an, I'm a native Californian. I grew up in Los Angeles. I've spent my entire life in the state of California. The first time I ever went to Green Bay was for the 96 NFC Championship game, and I was at Lambeau. My God, I'd never been in such cold weather in my life. I was not in <laughs> any way prepared for this. So then now, because I'm a California native, our son, Joe, is a sophomore at Wisconsin. He's a California kid. No yeah, oh, and the, the experience, Joe, has been amazing. Like, on my daily show, when I started talking about where he was applying to schools, I would mention all the schools, and the reaction was always interesting until I mentioned Wisconsin, and the Badger Mafia came out in force. It was the most amazing thing. Like, we all love our schools, but literally everybody that we spoke to raved. I mean, raved about their experience at Wisconsin. So what was it like for you to play and go to college at Wisconsin? That was the best four years of my life. Yeah, man. right? I, mean, I, it, I grew up in Milwaukee, so it wasn't as much of a stretch as your son to go to Madison. But it was, it was so much fun because every day you woke up and there's just this buzz around campus. And it's not only just necessarily around the football team or the basketball team. It's just everybody's happy to be there. Everybody's just got a party, festival, Mardi Gras type atmosphere almost all the time. Yeah, it's got great academics, but it's just everybody's always looking for a good time. And that's probably the best way I can put it because especially when you get a couple wins on the football team or the basketball team's going to the NCAA tournament, I mean, it's just a big party on campus and everybody wants to have fun. This is it. I mean, Joe, you understand this, but like my son, he was like, I want to go to NYU. I said, son, listen to me. New York City is amazing. It's always going to be there. Find a college environment. Find a college experience. Yeah. I want you to go to Madison and at least look at it. And sure enough, he got there and fell in love right away. Now, you want to talk fun, Joe. Before I let you go, not only did we send our son to Madison, we built a house in Eagle River. I spent, no, no way. Dude, I spent That's my first awesome. month there this past summer. We just finished the house. Oh. I spent my first month there this past summer. It was one of the greatest months of my life. Have you spent much time in northern Wisconsin? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, my godfather has a place in Three Lakes that they've had for 100 years in their family, which is right down the river from Eagle River. And that's where I used to go when I was growing up. So I'm, 
I'm probably hanging out on the same lake uh, that you are in the summer. Isn't it beautiful in the summer? I mean, oh, it's hard to beat northern Wisconsin in the summer when you can get out of the boat, you can cruise around, you can stop at a bar, have a few drinks, have, have dinner when the sun's going down. I mean, it's great. The winter, not as great, but in the summer, that's a great, great time to be there. Joe, we're on Catfish Lake, and I, I didn't understand lake life until this past summer, yeah. man. It, it is absolutely amazing for all the reasons you mentioned. Now, because of the pandemic, we're kind of stuck here, understandably yeah. so, but we were talking about whether or not to come out in the wintertime. I don't know if I can handle that. I mean, do I really want to spend my <laughs> Christmas there? <laughs> You know, it's good for a few days. If you have any interest in snowmobiling, right? Skiing, ice fishing, like it's cool for a few days. I, I wouldn't go spend the whole winter there. I wouldn't go spend a month there. That's for sure. I'm not sure I'd spend a week there. All right. So really quickly before you go. So before the game against Pittsburgh, you were talking about the three keys to winning that game. Obviously, run the ball, force turnovers, keep the score close. Are we looking at the same three keys against the Chiefs or are they just a different animal altogether? Well, they're a different animal, but a lot of times in the NFL, the keys when you're the underdog are pretty similar. you got to win the turnover battle, right? And it's never more important than when you're playing Patrick Mahomes because he's so dangerous every time he touches the football that really the best way to try to minimize what they can do on offense is keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. So if you're giving them free possessions with turnovers, fumbles, uh, interceptions, or you're not getting any on your defense, it's going to be really tough to win. But I think – the key this week that's going to be a little bit different from Pittsburgh is the running game. It's going to be so important because their rush defense is average. But more than anything, when you get into the red zone, their red zone defense is about the only thing they're really bad at as a team. And I think once the Browns get into the red zone, if they can run the ball efficiently once they're in there and convert touchdowns when they're down there, I think they got an opportunity to keep it close. And then they can manage the clock in the fourth quarter, you know, seven minutes or less to try to make sure that they can manage it where they don't have Patrick Mahomes with the football as the game is winding down because I don't think they lose any game if Patrick Mahomes gets the last possession. That's the last thing you want. And, Joe, finally, you've talked about this in retirement, and for those who have not heard it, I mean, like, maintaining weight when you played was a full-time job. That's an interview in and of itself. I'm kind of curious, though, when you got out, what was it like for you when you could live a normal life and you can eat like a normal person, you can exercise like a normal person? Like, what did that feel like for you? What does that feel like now? Honestly, it was the number one thing that I was looking forward to when I retired because my knees, my back, I, they had taken a lot of beatings. There wasn't, there's not a lot of cartilage left. And so the doctor told me when I had my last knee surgery in the NFL that, hey, losing weight, that's going to be the biggest thing that will make you feel better. So I was really excited to lose weight, to eat normal, and not feel like I just finished a Thanksgiving meal every single day of the year. Um, and it was awesome. I mean, honestly, the weight fell off pretty quickly. I've always been a guy that likes to work out, so that part was kind of easy. But um, once I got down to like 250, which is about 60 pounds under my plan weight, I just felt great. Like I could go and stand and watch my kids at basketball. I could go shoot hoops with my daughter. Like all those things that I think people take for granted when they're in their 30s, I was able to do again. And so that's what, one of the, the reasons I've never really looked back once I retired. And then finally, Joe, like I would imagine for your, your joints, your cartilage, all that, that, it's great. What about your gut health? Is your gut health so much better because you're not just slamming copious amounts of food every two hours every day? And by the way, not the best food? Yeah, exactly. That, that was one of the things that I was most surprised with when I started eating better and I really cut down on the sugars and the carbohydrates and I went with like a low-carb diet. I didn't have any idea of how much 
those sugars were affecting my gut, my brain, and my inflammation in my whole body. Like, I lost probably 10 pounds of bloat and inflammation just by cutting out all the sugars I was eating because I was the guy that was always trying to keep weight on. So for me, I was eating like a pint of ice cream and a sleeve of Thin Mint Girl Scout cookies before bed every single night to keep my weight up. And I had no concept of how much inflammation I was putting into my body from just from eating all that crap. And so cutting that out, that was almost as good as just losing the weight. And I would encourage anybody, like, if you have a lot of inflammation, a lot of joint pain, like, try a low-carb diet. Remove those sugars from your diet because that might be even worse than the wear and tear from the old football injury that you had in 1985. Dude, that is amazing what you just said, that last line. That is absolutely amazing. Like sugar, I mean, sugar's cracked for so many people in America. But that point you made about that, not just for your gut health, but for your brain, what was that sugar doing to your brain? What do you mean by that? Well, w- once I kind of like really got into the low-carb um, diet, I, I that's how I lost all the weight, really. Obviously, exercise too, but I felt like a mental clarity because what would happen, and this might be getting in the weeds a little bit, but when your blood sugar goes up and down and it spikes and then your insulin spikes like that, you get like hangry. That Everybody's had that hangry feeling before and it, it leads to a lot of fogginess in your brain. And so cutting that out because you just have much more stable insulin and blood sugar level, like I had so much more energy during the day. I could think so much more clearly. My memory got a lot better where I could recall things. And it was like, it was really like kind of turning back the clock on age a little bit, which for an offensive lineman that got hit in the head for a living for 11 years, like that was remarkable for me. And so I've, I've kept it up. Now I'm not strict 365, you know, during Christmas, I still like reaching into the cookie jar and having Christmas cookies. But for the most part, I still try to keep it up because of how good it made me feel. Oh man, I'm so glad you shared that. And then finally, 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 you, you like to fast, right? Do you like to fast? And yeah. if that, is that good because of the discipline involved or because of what it does to your system or both? <laughs> I never thought we'd be talking diet, but I love, I love it. it. No, I love um, this stuff, no, I, Joe. I, 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 love I love it. I'm getting fast. so much out of this. Yeah. You know, I, I originally got into fasting because I'd, I'd read up on how good it is to help you lose weight and to help kickstart like the low carb keto diet. And where it gets you into that fat burning mode a lot faster. But once I started doing it, I also realized like the mental discipline that I was missing a little bit from football, I was getting from like doing those longer fasts. And so I've actually done some fasts out to like 60 days. And I really like, the discipline side of it. I really got big into yoga and sort of the mental side of that really is something that appealed to me. And fasting has a lot of those same benefits, you know, outside of the physical benefits with autophagy where it's turning your, your dead, your bad cells over. They talk about fasting can help prevent a lot of cancers. Um, It makes you feel really good. And, and I think doing like a 24 hour fast or even a little bit longer, like a 48 hour fast once a week or once a month, it just has a lot of power as far as discipline, because it's easy once you retire from the NFL to be allergic to discipline. Like, wow, I don't want to have a schedule anymore. I don't want anybody telling me what to do, but I think losing that, it, it makes you feel like you're just kind of wandering aimlessly. And so having some discipline in your life, I think is so important to kind of keep you on track and just make you feel grounded. To quote the great Jocko Willink, right? Discipline equals freedom. Yeah. When you say 48 hours, Joe, like I, I went to noon today without eating and I thought I was a legend <laughs> for this little intermittent fast. I mean, 48 hours, are you, is that water and coffee and a sunflower seed or two, or is that absolutely nothing for 48 hours? No, no, no. A lot of water because you, you, you do get a lot of 
really dehydrated when you fast longer like that. Um, so I'm a big coffee guy. I drink Good. a lot of coffee. Thank God, man. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of coffee, a lot of water. And like some people will drink some bone broth and that, that helps if you feel really hungry. But honestly, once I started doing low carb and then I would do the intermittent fasting where I wouldn't eat breakfast, it became a lot easier to do longer fast. And then once you break through about 24 to 36 hours, you don't actually feel hungry. You just feel like a little bit low energy. The best way somebody describes it to me is like, if you're sitting in a chair and like the trash bin across the room starts on fire, if you're not fasting, you're going to get up quick and put it out. If you're on like a 60 hour fast or a 48 hour fast, you're going to look at that trash fire and you're going to go, Hmm, I wonder how long I can wait before I have to get up and put the fire out. <laughs> <laughs> or throw a log on it. <laughs> or throw some more trash on it. Joe, I am so glad we talked diet. Like that that was really inspiring to me. A lot of good information in that. I'm so glad we could finally come together. And I, I took a lot of your time and didn't mean to take that much time, but this is what I do. Like when something's interesting, and you know this now, you're in the media, you just follow and follow and follow. And the next thing you know, more than a half hour is gone. So Joe, thank you very much for the time. I really appreciate it. And that was an absolute blast. Hey, man, my pleasure. I'll see you up in Eagle River in about a week. Oh, dude, can't wait. (laughs) Can't wait, man. An enormous thanks to my guy Joe Thomas for all of his time and that conversation. I loved it all, and especially the last 10 minutes about diet and mindfulness. Really interesting stuff, and I appreciate Joe's insight on the subjects. You want to make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at JoeThomas73, and make sure you catch him on the NFL Network weekend morning shows. If you liked what you just heard, I have 157 episodes that are just as good and a ton more coming your way. We are deep into this thing and not slowing down anytime soon. Make sure you're subscribed and you'll never miss a future conversation. It will always find you. And as always, thanks so much for listening. We're back next week with Ep 158. Until then, I'm out. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.